We are spending like drunken sailors. We're going to be paying soon more in interest expense on our debt than we do to fund our defense budget. I mean, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The U.S. has a seriously unsustainable fiscal outlook, high deficits and debts that will get higher relative to GDP. And importantly, it has no plan. And so the U.S. has a very big problem. Those are some recent comments from well-known investors Stan Druckenmiller, Mark Zandi at Moody's, and the former director of the CBO, all saying that the U.S. is facing a major problem with its unchecked spending and unfortunately has no plan in place to deal with it yet. We're calling this segment Taxes and Inflation, the final stages of the debt supercycle. And it was interesting, Chris, because when we look at where we are today and where I started my career, when I started my career in the financial industry. It was 1980. I would spent three or four years in corporate life out of graduate school. And the two main concerns at that time were taxes and inflation. Inflation was running at an annual rate of over 14%. The top tax rate in this country was 70%, believe it or not. And those were the two issues that we were dealing with. And especially throughout the 70s, when we saw 25 cents for a gallon of gasoline, and we got oil going all the way up to $40 a barrel. Commodities were taken off. Gold went from 35 to 850. We saw silver go from like 50 cents to 50 bucks. And we were in this inflationary cycle with high tax rates. And that's what we're going to be going back to. And as you mentioned, and then Stan Druckenmiller in some of those clips you played at the beginning, debt. And interest expense now is growing at accelerating rate faster than GDP. Now, let me give you an example. Let's go back to 2020. The economy contracted by 3.5% that year. But remember, we were in lockdowns. They were shutting the economy down, something we've never done in the history of this country. 2021, we bounced back from the pandemic. The economy grew at 5.7%. And that's going to be important when we talk about tax revenues. 2022, the economy grew at 2.3. And this year, it's estimated the economy will grow at 2.4%. So we began this new decade in 2019. The national debt was $22.7 trillion. 2020, it went to $27.4 trillion, almost $5 trillion increase in debt in 2020, because what was the government doing? It was closing businesses, shutting down the economy, and they were cutting checks to everybody, cutting checks to individuals. They were cutting checks to businesses. 2021, we went up about roughly about one and a half trillion to 28.9. 2022, we went to 30 trillion and the government's fiscal year ends in September. So in 2023, we went up by three trillion dollars in a single year. Currently, as of the day we're doing this podcast, the national debt is 33.8 trillion. We will cross the 34 trillion mark at uh, the end of the year. So this year, our debt will go up by four trillion dollars. And today, the debt to GDP ratio is 122 percent. But here's something that's really important. From 2020 to 2023, the U.S. economy grew by $4.9 trillion. So we had economic growth and we grew by, let's just round it off and say close to $5 trillion. However, 
during that period of time from 2020 to 2023, we added $10.5 trillion of debt. In other words, the debt is growing at twice the rate of GDP growth. And let me give you an example of how bad this has gotten. Put this in perspective. The government in the last year spent $6.3 trillion. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is entitlements, defense, and interest. Social Security spending is $1.5 trillion. Medicare spending is $1.4 trillion. Defense spending is $830 billion. And the interest on the debt up to September 30th of this year was $690 billion. So the total is $4.42 trillion. And guess what total tax revenues are? Total tax revenues are 4.4. So Medicare, Social Security, Defense, and Interest consume 100% of government tax revenues, which are declining, by the way. So if you take a look at that, Outside entitlements, defense, and interest, everything else the government spends to run the government, the Justice Department, the Department of Labor, the Congress, the, the Supreme Court, the National Parks, the FBI, the wars that we're fighting in Ukraine, all these things are spent and paid for with borrowed money. Now, here's the problem we're going to be facing, and this is when it's going to hit somewhere between 2025 and 2028. The Social Security Administration projects the Social Security Trust Fund will be depleted by 2034, and the Medicare Trust Fund will be depleted by 2028. Currently, right now, we're spending about $1.5 trillion on Medicare. So the first problem Congress is going to have to deal with in 2025, after the presidential election, is going to be what they're going to do with Medicare. You've got 10,000 baby boomers heading into retirement every single day for the balance of this decade. I think there's like 75 million of us baby boomers that are going to be moving into this area, largest population of retirees in the history of the country. And what's amazing, Chris, other than Stanley Druckenmiller, maybe Mark Zandi, a couple others, nobody's talking about this. You're not seeing it in the media. You know, you're, everything's happy talk right now. The Fed's going to lower interest rates. The economy's going to take off. Uh, the markets are going to take off. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the elephant in the room, which is government spending is now out of control. And there's no way we're going to be able to ha handle and pay this. It's just simply there isn't enough tax revenues in we all know what happens when you raise taxes. You reduce economic growth, you actually get less tax revenues. And I've been looking at the U.S. federal tax revenues, and they're declining. The tax revenues have gone down by almost a quarter of a trillion dollars, which tells you more of what is really going on in the economy. If the economy was doing all that well, you would be expecting growing tax revenues instead We've had a drop of almost a quarter trillion dollars. It's amazing when you think about, yeah, as you said earlier, we went from 22 trillion in 2019 for the US national debt to over 33 trillion currently. That's over 10 trillion just in, you know, three, four short years. And of course, what we saw with the COVID crisis and all the spending that took place after that really accelerated this problem 
But some may be thinking, well, yeah, we spent a lot of money. Why can't we just pull back on that spending? Why is that not just the simple fix here? Well, the simple fix is, as I mentioned earlier, if we take a look at where we're spending money, you know, $1.5 trillion on Medicare, $1.4 trillion on Social Security, defense, $830 billion, interest on the debt next year, which will be over a trillion dollars because we just added $10 trillion in debt or $10.5 trillion in the last three or four years. Chris, that consumes 100% of all government revenues. So if you want to cut back on spending, you're going to have to cut Medicare. You're going to have to cut Social Security. You're going to have to cut defense. And on interest payments, the Fed will have to come in and exert financial repression or yield curve control and bring down interest rates by buying and monetizing the debt. So you can't cut those things. These expenditures are automatic. Congress can't cut Social Security. They can't cut Medicare. They could cut defense spending. Uh, and they can't cut interest expense because you have to pay your interest on the debt that you've issued. So the real issue, where are they going to cut? Are they going to cut the FBI? They going to cut Justice Department? Are they going to cut salaries for Congress people? That'll never happen. Are they going to cut the administration, the White House, and the executive branch, the Supreme Court, the national parks, the CIA, the FBI, all these departments? Where are they going to cut? Entitlements, interest, and defense are 100% of government revenues. There's the dilemma you have. So Jim, as you pointed out, you know, for fiscal year 2023, which runs from October to October, it just ended. We spent over $6 trillion budget deficit, close to $2 trillion when you account for the amount that was taken in through tax revenues, but still spending is in excess of nearly $2 trillion over that. Budget deficits are a major problem and they're not going away. How are these going to be paid for? If you look at how the U.S. has been financing deficits, in 2014, foreign central banks really stopped buying U.S. debt, whether it's China, Japan, or other major central banks. So what happened is Congress came in, we changed the laws and made it more favorable for banks and money market funds to buy U.S. debt. Now, remember what was happening in that decade, interest rates were at zero. So banks and money market funds loaded up on U.S. debt. Then all of a sudden, inflation rises as we went in 2021 when it jumped in 2022, when it got up to over 9%. The Fed goes aggressive on rate hikes going from zero to five and a half percent. The result is bank bond portfolios are sitting right now on losses of 650 to $700 billion. Basically, the banking system would be insolvent. So what happened when we had the banking crisis in March, the Fed flooded the market with money, about $400 billion, and they allowed the banks to swap their bonds. So let's say I had a million-dollar bond that was worth $800,000. I could swap it to the Fed at a million dollars and the Fed would hold that bond that was at a loss and give me a million dollars back. It's a one-year swap. We don't know what's going to happen when that unveils or unravels next year. So the Fed initiated bond swaps. So if foreigners aren't buying our bonds and they've been selling them in the last couple of years, one of the reasons you had a bond route in the bond market last year that was so severe 
was foreigners were forced to dump their treasures. I think it was like 1.5 trillion. Uh, same thing that happened this year. Foreigners were dumping their treasuries. And we'll get to this in a minute. And it's one reason why you saw the two, the 10 and the 30-year bond go over 5%. So who's financing this debt? Hedge funds are financing this debt right now. They're leveraged over 100 to 1 on the money. What they're doing is they're buying debt in the spot market and selling that debt in the futures market for a limited small spread. The only way they're making money is by leverage. So we have the risk of leverage or a credit event like long-term capital management in the system right now because these hedge funds are highly leveraged and the market is now becoming more unstable and volatile. There's a volatility index that we follow. It's called the MOVE index, just like MOVE, M-O-V-E, and measures volatility in the treasury market. And whenever that index moves up above 140, what's been associated with that has been a spike in interest rates. And one of the reasons you're seeing this spike in interest rates is as the Fed has raised interest rates, it has made the dollar go up and get stronger because obviously because of the interest rates. What this has initiated, it has forced foreign central banks to sell off their treasuries to raise dollars, mainly to pay for oil in the oil markets. And we're going to get to the new change that's coming in. And that was driving down the price of bonds, raising the yield. So anytime we got up to 140 or over, what happened? When we got up to almost 200 with the banking crisis in March, the Fed came in, flooded the market with money. They initiated the bond swap. Then anytime we've jumped over that level, most recently, about two weeks ago, what happened? All the Fed governors came out in unison singing from the same hymn book. Oh, we think we've done enough and the bond market is actually doing our job. And then what happened is they began to use the open mouth committee to drive down interest rates. I mean, think about this. The 10-year treasury note has gone from five, a little over 5.2 down to 4.2 in just two weeks. I mean, that's a major move. But this has been the second year in a row where we've seen double-digit losses in the bond market. Most notably, you could take something like TLT that went from 109 all the way down to 82 for a loss of over 20%. One of the worst bond markets in over 40 years, two back-to-back -back years of 20% plus losses for bonds. So the main point here is that the trajectory of U.S. debt and the fiscal problem that we're looking at is unsustainable. There needs to be some changes here. But as we've noted, you know, 50% of spending so far is mandatory. And that is on, you know, healthcare, Social Security, Medicare, things of that nature. Government does want to touch that portion. There are some changes that can be made on the non-discretionary side, but the government often just changes its mind or goes back on whatever changes it had, quote unquote, committed to making. And so as we've seen, uh, U.S. debt continues to rise. U.S. debt GDP continues to get worse. And more than likely, we're looking at further credit rating downgrades from here. And this puts the Fed in a dilemma, as you noted, Jim, because you know if we do keep interest rates at these levels, that means it's just going to be more expensive to finance this debt. And it also raises the deficit because we've gone from like 400 billion, we're going to be going over 
a trillion. And where I think that where you're going to really see this crisis hit, Chris, is between 2025 and 2028. By 2025, we will have 40 trillion of U.S. debt. I mean, just think about if they don't bring interest rates and we're in that four and a half to five percent level, the government alone will be spending two trillion, almost 40 percent of tax revenues just on interest on the debt. That's why the Fed is going to have to start monetizing debt. It is too large to be financed. There's not enough corporate buyers of debt. There's not enough uh, central bank buyers of debt. There's not enough banks that, uh, you know, they could force banks to hold treasuries, maybe short term so they wouldn't lose as much money. But there are just not enough buyers. Our debt is so massive. There's just not enough people to buy it. So the Fed is going to need to monetize this debt. They'll have to initiate what is called yield curve control. And what I mean by that, they'll start going in and buying 10-year notes, 30-year bonds, five-year bonds to drive down interest rates from where they are down into that, let's say, 25 to 3% level that is more manageable. This is one of the ways we worked our way out of our debt problems following World War II. It was called financial repression. So they're going to have to go to that. And ultimately, what this is going to lead to, Chris, is they are you're going to wake up one day and they are going to devalue the dollar. And it won't be against other currencies. It's going to be against gold, just like Roosevelt did in 1933. Because if you devalue your currency against the euro, the yen, or the yuan, what are those countries that are going to do? They're going to devalue their own currency. So it's a beggar thy neighbor policy, and you get into a currency war. But one way to hit it right up front is you devalue it against gold. And my contention is gold, once again, is resuming its monetary value, which we'll get to here shortly. But so that's one aspect that we're going to be able to handle the debt. It's going to be monetized, which is money printing. And that is highly inflationary. The second aspect of this is going to be massive tax increases lie ahead. There's been several proposals that have been stopped by the Republican Congress. But one of the things uh, we could be facing, and especially if Biden wins re-election, is we're going to go back to the Obama tax rates. And I want to spend some time here because this is going to affect everyone in the U.S. that's listening to this. So let me give you an example. If we look at where tax rates are now, they dropped the tax rates from 39.6 down to 37%. But they did something more than that. They brought and added lower tax rates, a 10% tax rate, a 12% tax rate, a 22, a 24, then it jumps to 32. And those tax rates were lower tax rates were over a larger amount of income. Now, let's, I'm going to explain one that's going to be very important if you have a pension fund, an IRA, you're getting ready to retire. And this relates to Roth conversions, which we'll get to in a moment. The 24% tax rate for a married couple today is from $190,750 to $364,000. So, you can make up to 364000 and remain in a 24% bracket. That does not work if one, the tax, when the Trump tax rates expire in 2026 because 
you hit the 25% tax rate at $75,900 to $153,000 is the 25% tax rate under the Obama tax rates versus today, you can go from $190,000 to $364,000. And what I did is I did an example, and I want to share this with you. I said, all right, let's take two situations. A married couple that has taxable income subject to income tax of 100,000 and a married couple that has taxable income of 200,000. And here's what it looks like. Under the current tax laws, if you are married and you have $100,000 of taxable income, your tax bill is $12,615. When we revert back to the Obama tax rates in 2017, your tax bill will be $16,478, an increase of $3,863. For a $200,000 couple, your tax rates currently this year will be $34,800. In 2026, $200,000 of income, you will jump to $42,885 for an increase of $8,085. And this is where the media really did a hit job and basically they lied about the Trump tax cuts. The Trump tax cuts were aimed at lower level income, the poor in the middle class. We had a 10% tax rate, 12% tax rate at 22 and 24 versus where we are with the Obama tax rates which were much higher at lower levels of income. Where they distorted it is, let's say I'm Larry Lotsabox. I pay a million dollars a year in taxes. They reduce my tax rate from 39.6 to 37. So let's round it off and say I saved 3% in tax rates. Well, 3% on a million dollars is $30,000 in tax savings. So obviously, I'm paying a lot more than somebody that's only paying 10 or 20. So I have a larger dollar amount of tax savings, but not a larger percentage amount. The greater percentages of tax reduction went to the lower income levels. And this is where they basically lost because a lot of people, especially upper income people, did not like the Trump tax cuts because, number one, people like myself that live in uh, California, where we have a tax rate of 13.3%. You got they got rid of the deductibility of state taxes. And also in California, where our average, you know, our definition of a millionaire is a homeowner. I mean, the average house in I think San Diego is over a million dollars. The property tax deduction was capped at ten thousand dollars. So, you know, let's say you're Larry, lots of bucks, you're living in Beverly Hills, you have a $50 million home. Well, you're paying 1% on that. That's a half a million dollars in property taxes. You're only allowed to deduct 10000 So it hit a lot of upper income individuals. But we're going to go back to that. And it doesn't stop there, folks, because number one, they increased the tap tax rate back to 39.6. They're talking about getting rid of the estate tax exemption, which will be over $14 million. It'll drop back to where it was during Obama plus inflation. So it's going to be somewhere around six, six and a half million. They want to raise the corporate tax rates from 21 to 
And check this out. For people that make over a million dollars, you will no longer be able to get the favorable capital gains rate. For anybody over a million dollars, you would pay 39.6, in other words, ordinary income. They're also talking about lifting the cap on social security for people making over 400,000. So there might be a little donut window. I think this year you pay social security taxes on 162,000. What would happen is if you make over 400, you'd pay social security tax on all your income. They're talking about raising the Medicare surtax. Once you get through 162,000, you pay a Medicare surtax. It's like 2.9%. You pay half of that, your employer pays half. There's also the Obamacare tax of 3.8%. If you make over 200,000, if you're single, or 250,000 if you're married. Bernie Sanders has got a bill to increase that surtax to eight and a half to all the way up to 10 and a half for high earners. So if you look at, if they just lift the cap on social security, if you're Larry Lots of Bucks, you're gonna pay 39.6, which is the top bracket. You will pay, if, let's say you're an employee, you're a corporate executive, or you're running your business, you'll pay another 7.65% in social security tax or 15.35% if you're self-employed plus state taxes. So for example, if you live in California, take 39.6 plus 15.35 plus 13.3, you're up to 70%. And a lot of people say, oh, they'll never do that again. Well, folks, when I got in this business in 1980, the top tax rate was 70%. During the Great Depression and World War II, tax rates went from 70% to 90% to eventually 94%. President Kennedy, in I think it was 1963, brought the top tax rates from the 90% level and dropped them down to 70. So we've been there before. And if you listen to a lot of the progressives, they're saying, hey, We've had 70% tax rates and even higher. If we can just raise them to 70, you're still getting a bargain. So there is a, a lot of tax increases that are going to be coming. And what taxes do is you actually get less tax revenues. When you raise taxes, I mean, who in the hell is going to want to work if the government takes 70% of your income? So these two things are inevitable because we're on a one-way trajectory. This is unsustainable. And eventually, we're going to have a debt crisis. And I, I'm predicting it's probably they're going to postpone and do everything they can to get through the 2024 presidential election. You won't hear anything about the debt from whoever the Republican candidate ends up being, whether it's DeSantis or Trump. And on the Democrat side, whether it's Newsom or Biden, you're not going to hear anything about the deficit. You'll hear you know, all kinds of stuff but nothing to do with what is actually going on with government spending. So be prepared because there's only one way they're going to be able to finance this. They're going to have to print money, meaning the Fed is going to have to finance the government debt. That's going to be highly inflationary, and they're going to be raising taxes. Those two things are coming, and they'll be start coming in 2025 if Biden wins, and maybe 2026 unless uh, Republicans – gain the White House and Congress, and maybe they keep some of the Trump tax cuts, but it is coming.
Well, it's just interesting when you think about some of the things that you see in Europe where governments like in France have tried to cut back on pensions or some of that spending to their population, and you've seen these massive uprisings. It sounds like we're probably going to be looking at a similar situation here in the US. And like you said, it's probably going to start becoming more apparent as we get to that 2025 to 2028 timeline. And as you know, Jim, and as many of our listeners know as well, we've spoken with a number of people from ITR Economics. They've had in place going back as far as 2016, a forecast for the 2030 Great Depression forecast. That was something that we just spoke about. When we look at the demographic situation with all the baby boomers, like you talked about retiring, how much more of an increase in spending that that's going to require from the government. When you think about inflation being at a structurally higher place long-term and debt levels, all those three things they believe are going to severely collide around that 2030 timeframe. So as you mentioned, you know there's a number of changes that are going to take place. There are going to be some things that the government is going to have to do, either forced to do or preemptively do. Uh, One of those is going to be yield curve control, monetizing the debt, which is inflationary. There's going to be higher taxes. These are all the things that are going to have to be put in place that we've seen historically that they're going to have to do again. And if you're aware of these trends and you see the handwriting on the wall, as we do, there are steps that you can be taking now. And this is especially for high net worth individuals, which we work with at Financial Sense Wealth Management. So tell us, what are some of the things that we're doing currently for clients to prepare? One of the things that we're doing, especially for people that worked in companies and they had 401k plans, they have you know a million, a couple million, or even more in 401ks or IRAs, is we're doing Roth conversions for people that are retiring. And the reason is you can go all the way up to 364200 and stay in a 24% tax rate. So we're, you basically have three years to do this. You can do it this year. You can do it in 2024, which I don't suspect any tax increases next year. And then 2025, which is the last year Trump's tax rates remain in place. In 2026, we go back to the Obama tax rates And like I said, you'll hit the 25% tax rate at $75,900 all the way to 153. You can still do it. And we'll show you there's ways to do this. You just simply will not be able to put as large amount as you'll get to here shortly in a case study I'm going to share with you. So Roth conversions, do it now. And the great thing about a Roth conversion, once You do the conversion, you pay the tax. Once it's in there five years, it's tax-free. I mean, I can think of two or three stocks that we own in Roths right now that are paying 8 and 9%, Chris. And paying 8 and 9% tax-free, I haven't seen 8 and 9% tax-free bonds since the early 1980s. So Roth conversions, number one. Number two, accelerate exempt trusts utilizing the current estate tax exemption which is a little over 13 million going to 14. Three, set up a wealth replacement trust to pay the taxes. Number four, and we're doing this, build a laddered municipal bond portfolio, not a muni bond portfolio, because those will be long-term bonds and you'll lose money. 
But a, if I buy a laddered bond and put uh, various bonds with maturity, so let's say I have a five-year bond, I don't care what interest rates are. I'm getting my interest. It's tax-free. When it matures, I get 100% of my money. And I'll show you how we're doing this in a case study here shortly. Start switching your portfolio to more hard assets, and in especially commodities. We've had people on this show, and you, you know where I stand on this. It's my belief we're going to see commodity shortages throughout most, most of this decade. And it will be, if we're looking back in the year 2030, over the last 10 years, the number one performing asset will be commodities, just as it was in the 00 decade when gold went from 250 all the way to 2000, when silver went back up to 50, when we saw oil prices hit 150 and over 100. So hard assets, commodities, real estate, precious metals, Bitcoin, and also dividend aristocrats that are able to raise dividends to keep up with inflation. If you're heading into retirement and we start getting into double-digit inflation, how are you going to survive when you retire 5, 10, 15 years into your retirement. And I want to share a case story. There's two case stories. Uh, this one was a gentleman that sold his business, net worth of close to 30 million, probably uh, 10 million in personal investments, and about close to 7 million in retirement assets. And then the rest, uh, a rental real estate and plus a home. And what we have done now that he sold his business and he's retired is we've taken all of his personal investments and we've converted them into a tax-free laddered bond portfolio. So he has no taxable income for California, has no taxable income from his investments for the federal government. And then what we're doing is we're drawing down his IRA up to $364,000 and we're shoving that into a Roth. And so for the next three years at 364, it'll go up next year with inflation because they index the tax rates. We're going to shove at least a million dollars into his Roth, which will become tax-free. And then after that, if we revert back to the Obama tax rates, we're going to be putting 153 or whatever that amount is, if they index it to inflation every single year until eventually because he's only 55 years old. So in his age bracket, he will not have to draw his IRA because they bumped it from 70 and a half to 72. Then it's this year at 73. And then by the time he retires, it'll be 75 when he has to take mandatory distribution. So he's got 20 years of growth. And you take a look at a little over $7 million in pension and it grows at 5 or 6%, he's going to have a $24, $25 million taxable IRA at age 75. And when I explain that, he will be locked into a permanent high 70% plus tax rate. But what we're doing now, we're going to cap his tax rate for 24 to 25% for the rest of his life. So he's going to escape the 70%. In another case, corporate attorney, retired, about close to $3 million in pensions. And what we're doing is most of the income in the personal portfolio is in dividend stocks because dividends are taxed at a much lower rate than, let's say, ordinary income. And if you take a look at where dividends are, if you are married, 
basically the first up to roughly about 89,000 is taxed at zero. When you cross over 89,000 to 50, you go into the 15% tax bracket, and then you hit the 20% bracket at 554,000. Now, I have to throw in the Obama tax because if you're single and you make 200 in 250, you add 3.8. So if you were in a 15% capital gains tax bracket, add the 3.8, you would pay 18. So in this case with the corporate attorney, the personal assets are in high dividend paying blue chip stocks that um, are raising their dividends every single year. And they're taxed in this case at uh, 18%. And then what we're doing is we are taking a good portion of that IRA. And the idea is we're going to convert that IRA to a Roth. And we've been doing that now for about three, four years. And so eventually, and when the five-year period hits, as I told this individual, they live in New York, they winter vacation in Florida. I said, by the time we hit the five-year point on your Roth and it becomes tax-free, you can start pulling that income out and it'll be tax-free and it'll pay for your, uh, they, they rent a condo down there for about four months. It'll pay for their vacation and it'll be tax-free. And by the way, on the bigger case I was telling you about, it's not just the fact that we're converting the Roth, but also once it becomes tax-free, we are going to start taking distributions from the Roth because we don't want it to build up for estate tax purposes. We're also going to do some irrevocable trusts and utilize the 13 and eventually $14 million exemption on trusts so we can avoid estate taxes. And so the, the key thing here is planning and you have, there's a way to get around this because look, the wealthy always figure out a way, the tax lawyers and even the people in Congress, you know, they're making big bucks. What is it? You go, you serve in Congress and by the time you retire, you're a multimillionaire. So the, you know, your congressional people are wealthy too. And I'm talking about people like AOC and Bernie Sanders. They are multimillionaires. So, you know, they, there are ways you can get around this. The key thing is you've got a three-year window to maximize and do a lot of this on the estate tax exemption, on Roth conversions, and then also getting yourself in a position to have inflationary type assets. Because folks, you know, I don't need to tell you, do you, do you really believe if you're listening to this program, your inflation rate is 3.3%? One thing that I you know, I that hits me is we have a group of us. There's about four couples and we get together at our house every Friday night. We have we make a dinner. We have a nice time. And I do the shopping for that dinner. And one of the things that I've noticed is a year ago, I was paying $28 for a pound for a grass-fed filet. Today, that's $47. And that's just in a year. And the other thing is, even though the rate of inflation has been slowing down, the things that have gone up are not coming down. Yeah, gas has come down a little bit, but we 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 see over $100 oil prices coming in the next year. So the point we're trying to make here is get yourself ready. Don't wake up at the last minute when inflation starts spiking up again, when they start raising taxes and you missed out on this opportunity. If you don't start planning right now, if you're in one of these categories, believe me, you're going to regret that you didn't do so. 
So Jim, as you pointed out, there's going to be a lot of impacts to high net worth individuals. This is the group that we mostly work with at Financial Sense Wealth Management. However, there's a large number of people listening to our show right now that may not fall into that category. What would you say to those perhaps in the lower or middle income brackets? Well, the first thing I would say, if you are going to be buying a new car or a used car, as much as possible, buy a hybrid because the banana green policies are going to drive gasoline prices higher. A good example is my own state of California. The new Prius gets like 56 miles per gallon. Number two, switch from interest income to dividends on your investments. And the reason being, if you're single, you can make up to 44,600 and pay zero on capital gains and dividends. If you're married, 89,250. So you would pay basically zero tax on your dividends if you're in that lower bracket. Number two, if possible, move to a low tax, no tax, low cost of living states. We're seeing in my own state, we've lost one and a half million residents due to taxes and the cost of living. If you can, contribute to a 401k plan. And here's something that will really help you, not only make you healthier, but bring down your grocery bill. When you are going to the grocery store, shop and buy natural foods versus processed foods. I'm talking about something that is in a box, a can, or a frozen container. Shop the the outer perimeter of the grocery store where you're buying fruits and vegetables and proteins versus processed foods. You will be healthier and your food bill will be cheaper. And as an inflation hedge, gold is too expensive. As we speak, it's over 2,060 bucks. I would start buying silver rounds or silver coins because silver is at $25 versus 2,060 for gold. So there are things you could do even at the lower level that will help you. But start doing it now. Don't wait until the crisis hits after 2025. And again, if you would like to get in touch with us to see how we can assist you in restructuring your portfolio or in conducting a comprehensive financial plan to see what changes can be made or how we can assist you with tax planning strategies, estate planning, or any of the things that we touched upon today, our number is 888-486-3939. And we have a number of wealth advisors standing by that are happy to answer any questions you have related to what we discussed today. Yeah, I want to put a plug for our new website. In fact, some of the tax people we've interviewed, one of them is a professor, and he's saying he's having his MBA students go to our website because of the wealth of information on taxes and estate planning. Whether you're looking at taxes, estate planning, or retirement planning, check out our new website. There is just a wealth of information from tax calculators, videos, everything that can help you plan for the future. That's financialsensewealth.com. In the meantime, on behalf of Chris Sheridan and myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us here on the Financial Sense News Hour. Until you and I talk again, we hope you have a pleasant weekend. 
Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any companies mentioned in Financial Sense or arising out of the use of any material on the News Hour. Be advised that you invest at your own risk.